Foundation and Bounds view to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Grief shows up in our lives in many forms. We grieve departed loved ones, past selves, seemingly missed opportunities, the flux of the world, friend breakups, and even find ourselves grieving over that plant we just couldn't keep alive. Something today's guest knows all too well. I'm director of podcast Taylor Camille, and today I have the pleasure of being in conversation with my dear friend, plant doctor, stylist, and her newest title, author, Mariah Green. Mariah is here today to talk about her journey, her new children's book, Good Things, which is helping children and adults alike revisit our experiences and address loss and trauma in a compassionate and relatable way. I'm so delighted to have her on the podcast and hope you will enjoy. We've linked all of her things in the show notes so you can gift the book this holiday season and have her on speed dial for when your plant needs some TLC. Here's Mariah. My name is Mariah Green. I am a plant doctor and plant designer. I am the founder of Greenpeace, which is my plant design firm that helps people care for their house plants and mainly just shares as much plant care education as possible to make it accessible so that people know how to keep their expensive ass house plants alive. There you go. And recently you wrote a children's book. We worked together on a show for Well and Good many moons ago. But I really wanted to start off the conversation talking about plants and our wellness um, and education there that you have shared for so many on so many platforms and yes, all over. So Miss Mariah, how do plants affect our mental and physical wellness? And what's that connection? Yeah, I found... I really noticed this when I moved to New York City. I mean, it's called a concrete jungle for a reason, depending on how privileged you are and where you live um, in your proximity to green space. But when I moved here, I found that access to nature, just green space was few and far between. And so I really craved having living things or houseplants in my home because it just gave me something to not only check in on um, in terms of like being around living things, but it also just made my space feel good. And I think a lot of people can speak to that 
shift in their space during the pandemic. It seems like everybody mm-hmm. went from like maybe having one or two houseplants to having like a bajillion. Like we went all in. We were making sourdough <laughs> and we were bringing trees into the house. But <laughs> I think that's for a reason because people really craved seeing life in their spaces and knowing that they played a role in making sure that this one thing is thriving um, because it's sort of a reciprocal relationship with houseplants. And I think that people really started to realize that then. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, especially us millennials, pride ourselves on being plant parents and we don't have actual things to tend to. Um, There's like a a whole sort of thing has grown out of this. I wanted to ask you, as you have a plant behind you, are there certain plants that are better for mental wellness? Are there certain plants that you're seeing clients kind of ask more about? We know the fiddle has reigned supreme for many, many moons for whatever reason. (laughs) But what are are the plants that are, are better for us or that you're seeing pop up more? Yeah, I'll speak about like specific plants, but I think it's it's helpful to know that. When I go into people's spaces, let's just say I'm working with someone and they're moving into a brand new space or they have they have a pretty big life change that they're experiencing, I try to match them with plants or recommend plants where they're going to get the most growth or bang for their buck. So like what that looks mm-hmm. like is the Monstera is one of my favorite to recommend because every time that plant gets a new leaf, it's dramatic, it's massive, it looks different than the one previously, it might have two holes instead of the one before. And so that connection to like mindfulness is really important because you're noticing every time something comes through. And I like to get the plants that you get to notice more things about for people who are just looking to connect with a plant if it's their first time or like I said, if they're going through something. I think that monsteras are great. I think that pothos plants, those long vining plants, anything mm-hmm. that reminds you of a marker of time and where you were a month ago versus now is really, really helpful. Oh, that's such a good point. Cause I when the monstera like even coils up, I'm just like, ooh, we about to have a new <laughs> new leaf. It's oh. a baby shower. <laughs> it's, it's a, a baby shower. Ja- like it's <laughs> a baby shower. <laughs> I'm crying. But it's good it we get excited shower. for a reason because like we yeah. help that we played a role in that we made that happen. And equally, it's like, even when a leaf drops off, right? It's like, oh, well, I remember a year ago when that leaf came in, but like, wow, thank God for seasons. Thank God for noticing because for every leaf that drops off, we get a new one coming in. So I like to recommend the plants where you get more noticing out of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what you're doing or something. (laughs) (laughs) I just be playing around, sending the invoices that I like to think that I know what I'm doing. Um, Before you were known for playing in dirt, you were studying, um, getting your master's in education. You taught for a period of time um, and you ended up leaving teaching and then shifted into this plant stylist role. What have you found in your journey thus far to be difficult in making that shift and what Paired with that, what would you kind of advise people who are thinking about, okay, this is no longer kind of serving me anymore. I'd like to transition to something new. I think it's come in multiple phases and I guess I can narrow it down to three. I think the first big thing that I struggled with was letting go of the expectation that people had of me. And so when you sign up for something like a master's program, um, you're committing to a career and you've decided, and this is what I think I want my life to be about career-wise. And so when I started 
to really think about leaving teaching and going into plant doctoring and styling. The most well-intentioned and loving people in my life also had small ways of like delicately projecting their own understanding of what I should be doing onto me. And so it would Mm. be small things like, well, you're such a good teacher. The kids need you. And like, you put all this time and energy into teaching. And I almost started to talk myself out of it just based on the things that people were saying to me. Again, well-intentioned, but I had to really separate. I like to do the bucket exercise where I'm like, is this something that someone else feels about me or is this something I feel about myself? And Mm. normally that voice in your head, if it's negative, sometimes it's not even your own voice. Like when I hear statements like that, it's not in the Mariah voice. It's almost like it's this hypothetical, like mean girl at school voice. And so I'm able to put that in that bucket. And so that was the first stage. And then I guess presently it's, we kind of talked about this already, but now that I'm in these spaces and I'm considered a designer, no matter how many articles I'm featured in, I still sometimes just see myself as a former third grade teacher. And I don't know why I'm so unkind to myself. And I know that that's being said in my voice. And so that's what I'm struggling Mm -hmm. with now. Like if the negative thoughts are in my voice and they're not coming from outside the house, how do I grapple with those? Because as you've spoken about on previous podcasts, imposter syndrome, it is impossible for black women to experience it. But I'm just like, Oh, but that makes it real. So that makes it real. That makes it real. And we're our worst critic. Like we're so hard on ourselves and all the roles that we've played and will play are like important and pivotal. There's no hierarchies to to how we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy that you are open talking about it because it makes you so much more human and we all experience it. And I feel like the only way that we can kind of move through it more gracefully is to just call it out and air it out and and keep moving. Mm I want to talk about the book, which I love, my mother loves, my niece loves, everybody loves, good things. It's about grief, um, something I just know all too well and something that people can often shy away from. And so really wanted to know, you know, what compelled you to write this book? Why was it on your heart? And how did you pair what you learned and what you saw in the classroom with being like, okay, this book is timely. People need this book now. Children need this book now. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity and privilege while I was teaching before I moved to New York City um, to work in Southeast DC with kids who have experienced more loss and trauma than some people will in their entire lives. And these are kids. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, like the way that you phrased it of like what made you come up with this story. I wish I could point back to this moment where I was like, oh, I'm going to make this book. It was more so a noticing of what I didn't see in children's libraries. I feel Mm -hmm. like as we move into this space of highlighting diversity and inclusion and checking all these boxes, we were asking publishers and authors to come out with more diverse stories. We want stories with pictures and characters that look like black and brown kids. And while I'm grateful that we're moving in that space, the one thing that I still felt like wasn't being put in these books was meaningful stories that highlighted Mm -hmm. the black and brown experience. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to take it a step further of just, what's the word where um, it's representation. Um, I feel like Mm -hmm. representation is the least we can do. 
So I wanted to find a way to articulate a story that was meaningful to the kids that I used to teach and something they knew all too well was lost. And so separate from that, my time as a plant doctor and stylist was a, a lot lighter of a job and it brought me a lot of peace and comfort. And ironically, I think over the course of six months, I started to realize there is one community that has no issue talking about loss and death and it's the plant community. They kill plants mm. like nobody's business. It's like, oh, I had that plant, it died. And oh my God, I got a rubber tree. I killed that. My mama had one and it died. I'm like, wow, yeah. I don't think I've ever been in a community of people that's so cool or calm about talking about death. And I I can't remember the moment, but I started to realize, I think that plants are going to be the medium or the symbol for me to be able to tell this story about loss and grief to be able to articulate what the mourning process could look like specifically for black and brown youth. Yeah. It's just so beautiful how you married it together because it is so true. We are so open to talking about all the RIP plants that we killed, but um, harder, it's harder and trickier to have the conversations about mourning, you know, loss of a parent, loss of, you know, a loved one. It's such a good entry, entry point to having those trickier conversations. I just want to also ask you, you know, what are some of the things that you've heard from people who have read the book or, you know, do you feel like it's helping parents and educators um, kind of recognize that children, just like us, like, you know, experience a full range of emotions um, and here's how you can help them navigate? Like what's kind of the feedback you've been getting? I've been getting so much feedback and the really interesting thing, I guess this is like a no brainer to some people, but what's tricky about coming out with a picture book and selling it is that you want the kids to like it, but the kids aren't paying the $20 for the book. The parents have to like it and they have to decide that it's worth putting in their children's library. And what's come of that over the past four or five months is I'm noticing that this book is for more than just children. It's for people people's inner child. And it's almost like seeing parents in real time or even just adults read through this thing. And when they get to the page where the big thing happens, you just see either a light bulb go off, you see the water start to rise in their eye line, or you start to, you feel the quietness in the space. It's like, it's very affirming to me that there's a reason why we're a bit hesitant about whether or not kids are ready for this. And it's because we haven't made up in our minds that we're ready to talk about it. And as much as this is being marketed as a children's book, I've been saying it is for the ages of five to 10 years old, or it's for your inner child. And that's really been speaking to people. No, that's so sweet. And it's true. It's like the book that we we need, will need, continue to need. And just like, yeah, it really is for all of the kids inside of us. Um, Oh, Mariah. (laughs) (laughs) it's like I was talking with my mom about this too like why is it that we revert back to so many Disney movies over the course of our lives like right at every age or chapter in our lives you get a new meaning from it but they still like hold true like whatever it is you're taking from it in that time in your life you needed that and so if we label something a children's book or a kid's movie or that's for boys, that's for girls, that's we have a habit of labeling things in a society. But what you need right now is what you need. And if that's speaking to you, you pick that book up or you watch that movie and thank God you got the lesson that you needed from it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The message also in your book is that good things take time. Wanted to know where that messaging came from, how you landed on that. That phrase is... If I had to describe it, it would be my consistent Issa Rae moment in the mirror screaming at myself of like, Mariah, everything you do is not going to be the best thing that you've ever done. You cannot water the plant and see 50 new leaves in the same day. Like (laughs) good things take time is a saying that I needed to hear and need to hear consistently. And um, I, I think I went with that phrase because the one thing I noticed working with younger kids is... The best example for talking about it is when a kid asks you for something like, can we go to the park? And you're like, yeah, just give me like five minutes. And they're like, great. And then they come back up to you in 30 seconds and they're like, can we go to the park? Kids don't have, some kids, depending on like their age and their maturity, don't have this understanding of time like we do. They're not as jaded and beat down by the concept of time. And so... I like to think of it as this optimism and like zest for like, let's do what we want to do. But equally, how beautiful is it to not be constrained by the concept of time? And so the idea of good things take time in this story is understanding that there's no clock on any of these pages. You do see the seasons pass and there are small moments where you can pick up on the fact that time is passing. But the way that you really see it is through the transition of the plant. And through Malcolm's emotions as he starts to go through the grieving process. So I wanted to find a way to illustrate what time could look like in connection to your emotions in the grieving process. Yeah. Yeah. And you did a it did a great job. I think I'm biased, but I think you did a great job. I look at it one day and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that works. And then I look at it the next day and I'm like, oh my God, his shoes should have been red or oh my God, the (laughs) plant should have been a little bit more brown because it's not giving six months later. It needs to. I'm hypercritical of it. Like we all are with our art. Let it go. (laughs) It's printed. We can't. I'm looking at it right now. Like, oh my God, the blue is off. The blue is way off. And I'm sure you'll find many more things. Yeah, good things take time. It's just the first one. Please ease up on my friend. Dang. Um, I'll tell her. Yeah, tell her. Please (laughs) relay the message. Thank you. I'll let her know. Speaking of time, daylight savings time has been kicking my ass. My mom takes great care of her plants. My plant, I'm not, you know, I don't know. So wanted to ask you about the, our tendency to like take care of plants in winter. 
Mm. Our tendency to like be like, what's wrong with my plant? It is dropping more leaves. Like what's happening? Um, Can you speak to Mm. any advice that you have for us plant killers um, and lovers in the winter seasons and what we can expect? Yeah, I think it's helpful to go back to how we started this conversation and my favorite plants to give people who are either new plant parents or looking to like dive into plants for the first time is this idea of like being able to notice things with your plant. The best way to know what your plant needs is being able to read it and understand it. And the only way that you can do that is by practicing and having different plants to care for. And I bring that up because as we go into winter and the days get shorter and it's cold, it's also helpful to note that most of the houseplants that are being sold in New York or all over the world, they're tropical houseplants. And we are bringing these mm-hmm. poor babies to cold ass, dark ass, depressing ass New York. And we are asking them to grow at the same rate that they were as if they were in the Amazon, which is so unfair. And not to be overly condescending, but our society is, we're obviously obsessed with um, producing, with productivity, with um, persevering and like pushing through. And I think we we project that onto our plants. If we're not mm-hmm. seeing a new leaf every week or every month, something's wrong. Where is it? If we Let's see go. one Clock leaf in. drop, yeah, like if we Gotta see go. one leaf drop, but you got 10 up here, no, like that's not good. Something's wrong. So <laughs> all of that to say, I'm like being kind of funny about it, but it's funny to me because fall exists outside, right? And we can expect the same for our houseplants too. But if there's anything you can learn from your plants is that not every season is a season of productivity. Some seasons you are going to be pushing out all the work and getting all the recognition and the press is coming in or you're getting all the praise from your boss. And then there could be another season where it just seems like you're not getting noticed at all and you're just like tunnel vision, head down. Seasons are real. And again, back to time, I think we we get so obsessed with production and not doing as much as we think we should be and getting the praise for it. But if there's anything we can learn from plants, it's that not every season is a season for growth. So don't worry about the grow lights. Don't worry about the fertilizer. You could end up doing more harm than good, as Malcolm does in this story, by overwatering something. Yeah, yeah. Not every season is season for growth. Tatted. <laughs> like that is season for rest. And you've taught me that through this podcast. Yeah, it's rest true. is productive. Rest is super productive. Yep. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you was, what do you hope Good Things leaves readers with? And what do you, like, what's on the horizon? Well, actually, not even what's on the horizon. Just what do you hope Good Things leaves readers with, period? (laughs) I hope that Good Things leaves readers with an opportunity to revisit whatever trauma or sadness you don't feel like you properly went through or experienced at the time that it happened. and. Mm there's a reason why, like we spoke about the fact that this is a children's book, but it's also for your inner child. Yep. Loss is not something that you put a bandaid on and it's completely healed and you move on. And I've tried to make it very clear that this book is not a book about death or loss. It's a book about life and how life can look if you properly grieve and understand the mourning process. It's more than just talking about death and talking it out with our friends and feeling all the feelings. It's understanding that life does go on afterwards, as long as you're able to cope with those feelings. And I really want good things to speak to that and to validate specifically for little black and brown children that those feelings that you have are more than okay. They are normal and they are celebrated. And 
everyone in this life is going to experience loss, but you have a responsibility to honor and validate the feelings when they come up. Parents have the same responsibility for their children. Teachers do, and we all do as a society. So that's what I hope that good things brings. I know by the time you get to the middle of the book, it's sad. And you're like, this can't be a kid's book. It's not supposed to be sad, but like, that's how you know you're dealing with some real stuff that you're healing because you're uncovering all the stuff that makes us feel kind of awkward. You're dealing with the feelings. It's so true and so necessary. And it's amazing, truly, that you were able to put so such a complex feeling in such a like neat package. And I think giving you your flowers because that is not an easy thing to do. Um, And you did it. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited for more people to read it and to share it and to gift it this season. Um, Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add? (laughs) Go pick up that book. Amazon, Target, local, wherever. Pick up the book. We're linking it in the show notes. (laughs) Three years. Pick up a coffee for your girl. Pick it up. Donate one to a school. Follow Mariah on Mm -hmm. social. All the things. All the things. All good things. On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Mariah Green. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille and edited by our friends at Edit Audio. Our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.